Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 58 called The Kind of Fasting God Wants. Okay, Isaiah 58 is what you want tonight. Isaiah 58. This weekend, uh, there is a major feast day for Israel. It will happen on our Sunday evening at sunset, and it is called Yom Teruah, um, which is the Feast of Trumpets. It's also known as Rosh Hashanah. It comes 10 days before Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. And then the third feast in the fall is Tabernacles. And if you think about what Tabernacles is, Tabernacles is God tabernacling with his people. The spring feasts were fulfilled in the first coming of the Messiah. He died on Passover. You have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You have the Feast of First Fruits. And then 50 days later, you have Pentecost. That's in the month of Nisan, the second month on the Jewish calendar. And then when you get to the seventh month, you have Tishri, and you have the three fall feasts. Um, I mentioned trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles, and that's the order that they go. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of uh, uh, Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. There are many good scholars that believe that Jesus is returning to fulfill the fall feasts, and that he will return on the Feast of Trumpets. By the way, that's not picking a day, because we don't know what the year will be. But it was known, the Feast of Trumpets was actually known as the Feast of the Unknown Day. And it's because of where it fell, and they had to check to see if it was a full moon, and then they would report it to the the high priest, and then it got reported to the people. So just some interesting things uh, in terms of our own calendar that are coming up. So you begin to look at the Feast of Trumpets, and I just wanted to give you kind of a quick synopsis of it. It does tie in a little bit to what we're talking about tonight. Idioms for the Feast of Yom Teruah are, it's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's also known as the day of the awakening blast. Isn't that interesting? The trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ will rise. The awakening blast. Um, It is also known as Yom Hadin, the day of judgment or the opening of the books or the opening of the gates. It's also known known as Yom Hakaseh, I can say it, the hidden day, I mentioned that. And then it's also known as the wedding of the Messiah, and it's also known as Ha-Malek, the coronation of the Messiah, all supposed to be connected to the Feast of Trumpets, which many believe is going to be the day when Jesus Christ returns. Now, what else is going to happen when the trumpet sounds? There's going to be what? The dead in Christ will rise first, and there will be a rapture of the church, right? So I started looking at just some facts on the Feast of Trumpets. Um, On the Feast of Trumpets, the shofar is blown 100 times. There are three sounds made with the shofar. A tekiah, one long straight blast. A shevarim, three shorter blasts. And then the last, teruah, the Hebrew word for trumpet, nine quick blasts in short succession done 11 times for a total of 99 uh, short blasts or teruahs. And then the final blast, guess what it's called? The last trump. Hmm. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Uh, God has a calendar, and he's going to keep it. The question is whether or not we're going to keep his calendar instead of him trying to keep ours. (laughs) Father, we thank you for the book of Isaiah. There's so much rich stuff in it. It's really a call for authentic transformation and authentic faith. We want to be true, real, changed people, not just on the external, but in the internal, where it really matters in the heart. And so, Lord, we know that's where you work. You're not really concerned about people keeping feasts if they don't know you. What you want is the heart first. And you, you even say in the book of Isaiah, your feasts, your, your sacrifices mean nothing to me because your hearts are far from me. But we want to be people who know you and do what we do as a result of knowing you because it is our delight 
to keep your commandments. They're not burdensome. They're the joy and delight of my heart. Oh yes, being authentic does mean to be also real about our weaknesses. And we can't hide those from you, so we bring those to you tonight as well. We know you know us. You know the areas that we struggle. But tonight we want to just be further transformed as John prayed from glory to glory. So help us tonight. Guide us by your Holy Spirit as we study this wonderful chapter in Isaiah in chapter 58. Lead us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Isaiah chapter 58. Now I mentioned the Feast of Trumpets and a good portion of Isaiah 58 is going to be about fasting. And it's going to be about the kind of fast that God really wants. The Day of Atonement was the only day on the Jewish calendar that was known as the fast day. And trumpets was a day of repentance. It gave you 10 days of preparation. It gave you 10 days to look forward to the atonement that would come through the lamb that would be sacrificed. Uh, On the Day of Atonement, they would take the two goats, remember? One was the scapegoat, one was the goat that was killed for the nation. On trumpets, you kind of got it awakened from your slumber, if you will, and then you had 10 days to get your house in order to prepare for the Day of Atonement. And then what followed that was tabernacles, the idea of God dwelling among his people. And so we are at that time of year and we are in that kind of setting because it opens with this uh, command from God, I believe, to Isaiah. He says, 58.1, cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice, notice, like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob, another name for Israel, their sins. I want you to cry to the people, and if it fits with the feast days, which if you read some of your study Bibles, they think this sermon may have been preached on the Day of Atonement or close to the Day of Atonement. He's saying, get the people ready and get their hearts in touch with me and get them to take a look at their lives. Get them to take a look at their hearts. Cry loudly to them. Raise your voice, not in quiet correction, but in loud crying like a trumpet And make a declaration, verse one, to my people. Declare their sin, transgression, means to cross the line and the, the sins to the house of Jacob. My people are off track. My people, as you will see, are not authentic. And what was happening in the nation of Israel is that there was a mixture of paganism and an attempt to worship the true God. They were amalgamating or mixing the two together, kind of almost like a smorgasbord of things that they wanted to do. And one of the things that the Canaanite gods uh, that we looked at last week did is they were very much like humans and had to be pressured into acting. They kind of had to be coerced or strong-armed. And so people would do outrageous things to try to get the gods, uh, plural, to function in a way to bless fertility and crops and things like that. Even to the degree that, remember, the house of Israel would offer their firstborn in the fire to try to appease or propitiate the God. That means make a a sacrifice unto him that he might be satisfied with the people and give them whatever blessings that they saw uh, that they needed. And so this was the the backdrop. And God was saying in Isaiah 55, 6, and 7, look, I'm making a universal declaration. He said, seek me while I may be found. Call upon me while I'm near. Let the wicked, remember, forsake his way. So there is a call for not only repentance, but fruit in keeping with repentance. That's authenticity. By the way, to be authentic doesn't mean to be perfect. When you're authentic, you can be even authentic about your weaknesses. But God wants people to be authentic. He doesn't just want an outward show. And if you want to know how God feels about that, watch Jesus' earthly ministry. Watch him deal with the Pharisees who did everything on the externals to impress man. But Jesus said, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all kinds of corruption. Yeah, you paint the outside of the tomb. Yeah, you clean the outside of the cup. But inside, it's corrupted. That's Jesus' strongest words. But tax collectors and sinners who were listening to his word and really wanted to know the truth, man, he was called the friend of those people because they were authentic. They knew that they needed him. They knew that they needed his truth. They knew that they needed his love and even his bold correction. And so the voice is like a trumpet. 
It's loud, and it's meant to wake you up. I don't know if anybody's ever been woken up by a trumpet, but I would imagine it's not too pleasant. But it'll get you up, right? It'll wake you up. Yes, God says, here's the plastic fruit. They seek me day by day, verse 2. And delight, you might want to put these in quotes, to know my ways. As a nation that has done righteousness, if you have an ESV, it says, as if um, they were a nation that does what is right, and I think the NIV puts it that way. It's as if they, they look good, they say the right words. These people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I will tell you this, I watch a lot of people say, God bless America. But I wonder, which God are you talking about? And if you want his blessings, then why don't you align your life to what he actually says to do? Instead of just, you know, God bless America has almost gotten to the point where it's a kind of a obligatory prayer before a meal. It's meaningless if you're not trying to align your life with God. I'm not talking about perfection or legalism, but I'm talking about authenticity, I'm talking about a nation that sees that you can't have a disconnect between the profession of your lips and what you're actually doing in terms of your moral life as a nation and somehow think God is going to bless that. He is not going to bless it. Because righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And God, as we have looked at in previous weeks, and I know some of it's hard to take, calls these things detestable to him. And so you, uh, the nation of Israel was saying these things all the time, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, but they were mixing things. They were trying to have it the pagan way and have it God's way. And there's a lot of so-called Christian books that have come out, and they are basically paganism given Christian language. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. The next topic to dive into is the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. Even if we threw out having to land on when does life begin, when a majority of those abortions happen, right, is in between generally six to 12 weeks. And, you know what I mean, there's a heartbeat, there's, everything's pretty much intact. The only thing that child or that baby needs is time and nutrition. It's fully formed. To listen to the Walk in Truth mini-sodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And have it God's way. And there's a lot of so-called Christian books that have come out, and they are basically paganism given Christian language. They're words of power. You can speak your own reality. God wants to give you everything. You just got to say it the right way and you'll get it. All that is, is paganism, folks. You cannot strong arm the Lord. You can't fast and think that somehow by your fasting and your so-called misery that you're going to get your will done on the earth. That's not the way it works. That's not why you call God, God. (laughs) If you call God, God, you're saying, I want you to be God and me to be servant. But we have flipped it around. And those are some of the most hottest selling books on the planet. And they're the biggest grossing churches in the United States because they tell us what we want to hear. All I need is a formula and God will do what I want him to do. So who's God now? Him or you? And that's what the people of Israel were doing. They were saying, yeah, we seek the Lord day and night. Yeah, we keep the, the, the prayers, the Shema. Yeah, we do this and that. But you do that as if you were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God, reading from the NIV. They ask me for just, just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. It's all a show. It's really not reality. It's really not their hearts. 
And the reality about God is he sees through it. He knows. He knows when people are playing a game with him. And 2 Timothy 3.5, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and says, these type of people hold a form of godliness and they hold to it. Although they have denied its power and Paul says, and avoid such men as these. They have a, uh, an appearance of godliness, but they've denied its power. Where's the power come from? The Holy Spirit. So if you have a form of godliness, you look like you're a God uh, follower, but you are devoid of power, then you're devoid of the life of God because the power comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus proclaimed these woes he, uh, as we will look at Sunday, he highlights a Pharisee who went to the temple and stood up and prayed to himself and said, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, undulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast t- twice a week. I fast twice a week, not just on the official days. I just want you to know, God. Just in case you didn't notice, I fast a couple times a week. And I pay tithes of all that I get. And remember the tax gatherer stood at some distance. He wouldn't even raise up his eyes to heaven. He beat his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus said, which one of the two do you think walked away justified? The context is the kingdom of God. This is not just about how you pray. This is about how you get into the kingdom. The humble get into the kingdom, broken in true repentance. The proud stay out. So it's deeper than just a lesson in prayer. The whole parable is really about how you get into the kingdom of God. That's been the subject matter, as we will see Sunday, that Jesus has been dealing with. Verse three. But the people say, why? Why have we fasted and thou dost not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and thou dost not notice? And God responds, because behold, on the day of your fast, what do you do? You find your desire, and you drive hard all your workers. The people ask the question, why? God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. The preacher says, if I hit this button, the snicker bar is coming. Where is it? I haven't eaten in 20 minutes. Don't you see what I'm doing? I'm being religious today. So I would expect that something's coming my way now. Why? We fasted and apparently you're not seeing. We've humbled ourselves. And you didn't notice. And God responds, behold, on the day that you fast, well, guess what you're doing? It's about your desire. It's not about me. You drive hard all your workers. If you cared about people, maybe you'd give them a day off or give them some time to seek the Lord. Behold, you fast, notice this, for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. I was reading one writer and he said, can you imagine a family that's truly not saved and they fast for religious purposes? So do you know how people get when they're hungry? We get a little edgy people. You know, you miss one meal and you know, it starts to get bad. If you're fasting for the wrong reasons and you're around people who are not praying and not taking in the word of God, what do you think that's going to look like? I bet you're not too spiritual. And that's basically what is happening. You fast for contention and strife. The irony is heavy. Just the opposite that we would expect to find. You'd be thinking that you'd be laying down things in fasting, trying to end quarrels with people, but it's just the reverse. On your fast day, You're duking it out with the guy at Home Depot. But I'm fasting today. But you messed up my change by 24 cents. What's your problem? Oh, by the way, I go to Living Truth. It's right on the corner of Lincoln and Ontario. I'm a little edgy. I'm fasting today. Did you notice? My face looked droopy. Do I look all right? (laughs) So God says, You do not fast like you do today, or it could be rendered this way. You cannot fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. It's not going to work. If if the motive is wrong, if your heart is wrong, you can go through religious exercises all day long. Have you ever met a person who says they were baptized, but you look at their lifestyle and you say, 
dude, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I got baptized when I was four. Well, what are you doing now? Well, I, I got baptized. I, I got the certificate. It's in a drawer. Okay. You know, they could dunk you in a pool for a thousand times, and it's meaningless unless you know Jesus Christ. It's only an empty ritual if you don't know Christ. It has deep meaning if you do know Christ. Fasting has deep significance if you do know Christ. Amen? He's not saying don't fast, but he's saying, look, the first thing is you better know me. Don't think you're going to strong arm me. Your fast should be pushing down the flesh to elevate the things of my kingdom and my spirit. Not to think that you're going to strong arm me in some pagan fashion to get what you want done. On the day of your fast, you find your desire. ESV, you seek your own pleasure. NIV, you do as you please. And if you look at the NIV at the end of, uh, or the middle of verse four, you exploit or oppress all your workers. And you think I'm gonna bless that? God says no. It is a fast like this which I choose. Is it a fast like this which I choose? Another question. A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed? They, they would do this, you know, uh, kind of bending over, you know, kind of like a reed would. Uh, and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed, as things associated with mourning, the typically accompanied fasting, will you call this a fast? Even acceptable, uh, an acceptable day to the Lord? If you did it with the right posturing, would it sanctify it? If you keep your head low, does it make it better? Does it you know, cross the line to acceptable, God says, no. Is this not the fast which I choose, verse six? Here's what God wants. To loosen the bonds instead of driving hard your workers or the chains of wickedness. Injustice is also here, a picture of someone enslaved in chains. To undo the bands of the yoke, anything that weighed or strapped one down, and to let the oppressed go free and to break Every yoke. I don't think there's any avoiding it. This is social oppression. This is a country that makes a claim to godliness, but then their social policies have people in chains. And God says, if your fast is true, if you're truly trying to align your heart with heaven, why don't you free those people? Why don't you remove the yoke? Why don't you let the oppressed go free? And then heaven will smile at you. Because you can't do this over here and think somehow that your fast has justified it. Look at verse seven. Is it not the right kind of fast to divide your bread with the hungry? Bring the homeless poor into the house. Isaiah's in our face, isn't he? Or maybe in our kitchen. You see, he's saying, if you're authentic, then there's going to be some congruent action with your profession. And these are areas of our lives that are not comfortable. It is much easier to write a check. It is much easier to come to a church service than it is to deal with someone who's homeless. Than it is to divide your bread with someone who doesn't have anything. But the New Testament repeats this idea. Jesus said, if you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And there's neat stories, you know, about people showing up at places and, and people looked at that as doing it unto Jesus. And when you do it as unto the Lord, that's what makes the difference. You see that person as someone uh, for whom the Lord died and he loves. And he says, when you see the naked, this is the fast I want, cover him. And don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Now, some commentators take verse 7 as your family, <laughs> which uh, could bring up all kinds of deep emotion. <laughs> but I think here, probably more generally, it says don't hide yourself from your own flesh and blood or from mankind. Do you know that the irony of modern society is we seem to care more about animals than we do about humans? And God says if you want to align yourself with heaven's heart, if you want the true essence of a fast, take care of humanity. They're made in my image. Yes, I believe God loves animals. I don't know if he has pets. He might. But his, the jewel of his creation is humanity. We are made in his image. 
Male and female, he made us in his image. And he said, look, you can't turn away. This is pure and undefiled religion, the idea of worship, and undefiled means without contamination. In the sight of our God and Father, it's to visit orphans and widows in their distress when they're going through a tough time and to keep yourself unstained by the world. And that's James 127, and that's the New Testament. God's heart has not changed. There is always going to be implications of the gospel. It is not just about us, folks. When you become a Christian and you get saved, that's awesome. When you become a citizen of the kingdom, that's wonderful. But there is much work to do. And the first work that we emphasize a lot here is Bible study, worship, lifting up our hands, singing praises to God, living in gratitude. But there is a connecting work and that is practical love. We gotta put feet to our faith because heaven says that's a big part of the pie. That's part of the equation here. And you know that you've passed from death to life if you love God's people. And so let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do it while we yet have time. Let us sow to the things of the spirit, Galatians 6, while we yet have time. So an investment in the kingdom of God is an investment always that's going to be both vertical and horizontal. God is the father of the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. That is God in his holy habitation. And so sometimes the way we measure our Christian lives may be incomplete. We might measure our Christian lives by the number of times we read our Bible in a week. Maybe the number of times that we prayed. All wonderful things but I'm not sure that's a complete measurement. How about courageous evangelism? How about if you're in a store and you see somebody and the Lord gives you a nudge and you evangelize because you know you're supposed to? That's worship. How about if you know that there's somebody hurting and you feel uncomfortable to make that call because you don't even know what to say to them because they're in a dark hour of their lives? But you buck up and you pray and you pick up the phone and you call them because that's love. Love is not comfortable. Love means you put your heart out there. And there's always a chance when you love somebody that it's going to be stepped on. But better to love than to live a life in seclusion where you say, well, I'm not gonna, and here's how we sometimes get, I don't wanna be hurt again, and look, people will disappoint us, so we, we can put up walls in our lives, and, and I think we lose God's heart when we do that. And I know some of you need to heal, you go through seasons where, you know, you start to get that a lot of Christianity, you know, uh, really has to do with what you do outside the church building. And that's really what God is saying. He's saying, Yes, I appreciate when you keep my feast days and all that, but, but I want something bigger. It even says, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and deliver my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Everything must come from the motive of love. We have a world without God, and you know we talk a lot about trying to manifest God to the world, and I think one of the ways that we can really do that is with action, in terms of ministering to others in this sense. When you do these things, would you notice what will happen? Then, when you do the right kind of fasting and you do what God has called you to do, then there will be a consequence. Your light, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. What chapter is that? Do you guys remember? Matthew what? Five, that's the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. What's that sermon all about? It's really about actions. And we're not gonna measure up perfectly. We know part of the driving force behind the Sermon on the Mount is to tell us we don't achieve perfection without Christ. We can't do it, we fall short. But the Sermon on the Mount still is rich with how we're supposed to treat others and what we're supposed to be doing. Your light will, notice what will happen. Your light, you could put it this way, will break forth like the dawn. People might say to you, like the Veggie Tales says, you're real shiny. They might go, whoa, what's up with you? What happened to you? You seem to be kind of beaming. Oh, you might say, let me tell you. 
Jesus Christ lives in me. He's the hope of glory. He's the light of the world. And he lets some of that light seep out of me. It'll break forth like the dawn. And your recovery, you need a healing? It will speedily spring forth. I think God is saying that there's healing in serving others. When we get overly self-focused, you know what happens? You look in the mirror too much, you're gonna find blemishes, people. Especially as you get older, you know? It's gonna happen, right? It just happens. We, we age, and if we sit there, I think some of the most miserable people in the world are those who spend too much time before that thing, right? I, I don't know. It, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're going to find stuff, man. Just, just check it once and move on. Don't look too long. Your, your recovery will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. So there's a new beginning. Your light will break forth the light of God. There's personal restoration when you do the right things. There'll be a healing. The idea here is recovery or repair, and it will happen speedily. And here's security, things that we're all looking for. Righteousness, and notice, will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be what? Your rear guard. That sounds like security to me. And the glory of the Lord speaks of the glory cloud that uh, led the children of Israel around in the wilderness. And boy, you want to talk about security? There he was, even separating the Egyptian army from the people of Israel. There's a fourth thing, a fourth benefit or blessing. Then you will call, and I think you could define this as close fellowship with the Lord. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. He's been far from them. If you look at, um, skip ahead to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. This is for next time, but we quote this a lot in evangelism, but here's the context. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, 59.1, neither is his ear so dull that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have made what? A separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And then look at the next verse. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. You see the point? He's saying, but when the opposite is true, then these blessings are gonna flow your way. And when you cry to the Lord, 58, 9, he will say, here I am. And if you remove the yoke from your midst, and look at this, and the pointing of the finger, ouch, what's the old saying when you're pointing your finger? What is it, three of them are coming back? Right? Don't point your finger at me. And when we point the finger, you know what we're doing? We're saying it's your fault. It's not me. It's you. It's your problem. God says, get that. Stop that stuff. Take ownership and what you'll have is a new beginning. The light will break forth, personal restoration. You'll have healing. You'll have security. Your righteousness will go before you, reputation. I'll be your rear guard just in case anything happens. And I'll promise free-flowing fellowship, verse 9, between the two of us. And the moment you call, I'll say, here I am, close to you. There'll be no separation because of your what? Sin or inauthentic life. There'll be no unrighteousness in your life where you keep Praying and nothing's happening because when you pray, as James says, you pray for yourself. You pray for your own purposes. So if you give yourself to the hungry, 10, and there's gonna be an if-then truth. If you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness, and your gloom will become like midday. Do you ever have some uh, days where you just say, everything just feels dark. I'm gloomy today. You ever feel like Schleprock? Anybody remember Schleprock? He was the guy in the Flintstones. Everywhere he went, there was just a rain cloud over him. And he kind of talked like, I know, I'm just having a gloomy day. And then it would start raining right on Schleprock. Nobody else. Or who's the, who's the one in the um, Winnie the Pooh? The donkey? Eeyore, right? Yeah. Not much of a tail, but it's the only one I've got. Gloomy, man. 
And all of a sudden, God says, when you start getting the heart of heaven, even in your dark times, you know, you go out and give yourself away in love with the heart of heaven. And you know what? Light will rise in your darkness. Have you noticed this principle is true? And gloom, and your gloom will become like noonday. Your night will become like the highest point of the day. And you'll go, what was my problem? God says, these are eternal principles. This is what it means to serve me. And the Lord, here's another blessing. The Lord will continually guide you. You know, we often say, Lord, I really want to know your will. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will what? He will direct your paths. But we like to say in the Christian church, God doesn't steer apart cars. So there's a principle of active waiting. Illustration, you want a job. Oh, Lord! As you sit in the lazy boy, you know, you've got it in third gear, right? Way up there, feet are way up. Give me a job, Lord! Hey, give me another one of those uh, ice creams, you know. Daytime television. Ed McMahon! Send somebody to my door with a $5 million check because I really don't want to work, right? He ain't staring that car. See, he does expect you to do something. He expects you um, to actively wait on him. Push on doors, see what he does. And he will open and he will shed light. He will guide you. Look at uh, uh, second sentence or just after the guide you in verse 11 and satisfy your desire Notice this, in scorched places, even if it looks dry around you, you're gonna be okay. And he'll give, not only external, internal, he'll give strength to your bones. Don't you love that one? To your frame. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You won't dry up. You'd be like that tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season. And whatever you do, it'll prosper. And the contrast is in Isaiah 130. God said of Jerusalem, you will be like an oak whose leaf fades away or is a garden that has no water. Do you guys have some areas of your yard that you haven't watered in a while? Sad. Sprinkler breaks in one section of the lawn and that lawn pays the price. But when that water's going, you know what happens? Things just flourish. And your Christian life, your heart, is the same way. Trust in the Lord and do good. Psalm 37, 3. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Psalm 37, 5. Trust also in him. He will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness. Psalm 37, 6. As the light and your judgment as the noonday. Jeremiah 17 says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. His trust is in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. Its its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. Proverbs 11.25 says, the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters others will himself be watered. Proverbs 11.25. I read one pastor this week and he said he thinks uh, Christians should give a good portion of their savings account away. And I went, what? Did I read that right? He said, yeah. Because there are principles in scripture that when we give ourselves away, and I'm not telling you to do that. You're gonna have to pray about that because I don't know if I'm doing it, right? But But he saw a principle in there that when we release those things to God, and it might be something other than you know, the financial stuff. God has a tendency to water us and pour out blessings that we cannot contain. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, John seven thirty eight, from his innermost being will flow streams of living water. This is the beauty of what God does. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And those from among you, 12, will rebuild the ancient ruins, kind of like what Nehemiah did, but it's probably closer to the time of Isaiah. 
You will raise up the age-old foundations. Sometimes we say that. We want to go back to those old days. You will be called, when you act this way, the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Would you like that title? If you want to be someone who's used mightily by God, who people might even say about you, you know what, that person has a way of coming in and just making things better. There's holes in the wall when they come in and when they leave, they're fixed. They come into a room and it, gets, it seems to get brighter. They come into a business and there seems to be more blessings. They seem to be a repairer, a repairer of the breach, a light. Do you realize the radical difference that one person can make in this world? It's becoming more and more clear to me the power of one individual life. The more I just see how the Lord works. If because of the Sabbath, we're almost done, you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure, now you switch from fasting to the Sabbath, which is a feast day, but it's a dress rehearsal for uh, the world to come on my holy day and call the Sabbath what? Not a bummer. What should you call the Sabbath? A delight. Now, in the, the Sabbath days, the only Old Testament uh, commandment not repeated in the New Testament because the principle is that Jesus is our Sabbath. And the church started meeting on Sundays to remember and honor the resurrection. But they called Sunday the Lord's Day. And my understanding of years gone by is that businesses largely were closed on Sundays. Now there's a particular business that closes on Sundays, been very blessed by God. People don't seem to like them very much. But they are the exception. And the day that was set aside for the Lord, because there was a predominant theme in the nation that it was assumed that you would go to church on a Sunday, well now, all it is is just another day to get ready for Monday or another day of recreation. It's not the Lord's day. Some people, frankly, don't find it a delight to go and worship the Lord. They find it a bummer. They're gonna go to church, right? What? I hope that going to church is not going to a destination to check a time card. It's the delight of your soul. Has it become that? And sometimes you gotta go even when you don't feel too delightful and then it becomes a delight. I heard Ray Comfort one time say when he witnesses, he he goes out witnessing and he goes every time dragging his feet and he comes back every time clicking his heels. Sometimes we've got to force our flesh to do the right thing and say, quiet, I'm going, right? Doesn't it seem like everything comes at you sometimes on Sundays too, right? You know, there's an enemy. But he says, look, let it be a delight the holy day of the Lord, honorable, honor it. Teach, teach honor, parents. Shall honor it. Desisting from your ways, we say this is the Lord's day. I'm not, we're not doing business as usual. Yeah, we can have a delight. We can enjoy some recreation. It's not about legalism, but let's put him first on this day. From seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, that might be a word to pastors. 14. Then you will take delight in the Lord And notice what this says. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Have you ever felt some days like your feet aren't even touching the ground? I'm walking. I'm not even touching, man. What have those times been for for you? Someone might say, winning the lottery. That's it. You know, what immediately comes to your mind when you think of not touching the ground? I think for most Christians, it's something to do with the Lord. Some way that he touches us. Maybe a witnessing opportunity. Maybe resisting a temptation that's gotten the best of you a bunch of times. Maybe it's, but I don't know. Have you noticed that you feel like you're not touching the ground and you're like, Lord, I don't know if I can get any closer. Uh, I had, I've had many of those occasions, but one such occasion was an Easter Sunday I've told you guys about. I preached, my mom had been a Catholic and I wasn't sure that she was saved and I cornered her in my car one day It was easy because I had those automatic locks and I locked the door and I said, Mom, you're going to listen to me. What? What, Michael? What? So I turned the air off to make it really hot in the car. No, I'm just kidding. I kept the air. (laughs) But 
And I said, Mom, I want to make sure that you know the Lord. And I said, do you know Jesus Christ? And I went through the gospel. I, yeah, Michael, I, I, know, I know him. Well, it wasn't a long time later where I was preaching on a resurrection Sunday many years ago now. And I gave an invitation and I opened my eyes and my mother was below the pulpit crying her eyes out, giving her heart to Christ. And I told the congregation, you could just take me to heaven right now. I feel like my feet weren't even hitting the floor. He says, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, the promised covenant of God, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Father, we are grateful for this beautiful chapter, Isaiah 58, challenging and yet hopeful. Um, If and then, if you do this, then this will happen. The first thing and the most important thing is you need to know me. You need to know my light, my truth. You need to come into a covenant, into the new covenant with me. Isaiah 53 laid that out so beautifully. And when you do, It won't be about checking in with God. It won't be about religious maneuvering. It won't be about external ceremony. It will be about internal realities manifesting themselves on the outside, little by little, um, season by season, but yet there will be fruit. And then we get in the trenches with others and we tell them the good news and we, we meet needs and we take time for people and all of a sudden more light breaks forth. And we're changed from glory to glory. And Jesus, you said, if I, your master and teacher, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should follow. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It's an amazing, um, I guess, opposite of the world that when we give our lives away, we gain them back. Our light breaks forth. Our feet are lighter. You feed us with the heritage of the children of God. You allow us to be well-watered people. Not dry, not fake, but real, authentic, human, but being changed from glory to glory. What great, great work you do, Lord. And we are grateful to be trophies of your grace, and we want to thank you tonight. If you're here and you've not met Jesus Christ, take that first step toward him. Believe on his death on the cross, his resurrection. Believe that he rose to defeat death and repent of your sin right now if it's you. And you don't know, God forbid, if you died tonight, you'd be in heaven. Repent right now. And turn to him. Say, Lord, I believe. Come into my life. Make me your child. Make me your vessel You don't have to have a perfect prayer, but cry out to him. If you're backslidden tonight, and these things are not true of your life, maybe just the opposite is true, then cry out to him and say, Lord, change me from the inside out. I give you this thing that's been infringing upon my walk, whatever it might be. And those of you who are saints tonight, those of you who are on the front lines, just take refuge in these truths because they're real And you know they're true. And when you might feel gloomy and dark and dry and whatever, do these things. And the God of peace will be with you. And he will strengthen you. And he will even strengthen your bones, your frame. And we will say, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by your spirit. And we will say, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. And we will say, Lord, we will put on the full armor of God and, and be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are grateful tonight. We love you. We worship you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? You've been listening to The Kind of Fasting God Wants on Walk in Truth. And that was Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 58. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our Free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station. How long have you been listening? Could you help us pay for some airtime on this station? 
Help us continue in this ministry by a monthly partnership of at least $5 a month. And that's all we ask. That's like the price of a cup of coffee. Unless you get that like really fancy stuff. But anyway, if you're blessed by this ministry and believe others in your community can be too, please visit walkintruth.com now to donate. That's walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael before we go. Well, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard about fasting, perhaps you've tried fasting. Some of you may be uh, people who fast, maybe you're a person who fasts regularly. Maybe you say, hey, I fast once a month or once a week. God bless you. <laughs> fasting can have great benefits, but Isaiah 58 tells us about the kind of fast that God wants. He doesn't want us just to fast to fast, if you know what I'm saying. He wants the fast to point us to him. He wants us to put down the yearnings of the flesh, the normal yearnings, and elevate the things of the spirit. He wants us to get as close as we can, speaking of this side, as it were, uh, to heaven by pushing away the distractions and saying, oh, Lord, you are my food. You are my drink. That's what a biblical fast is all about. This is Pastor Michael Lance. This is Walk in Truth. Hey, if you're new to the broadcast, welcome aboard. We're glad you're listening. One of the great things that you can do to check out our ministry is search for Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. As we close the book of Isaiah, we are airing the first teaching of each chapter and then asking you to go listen to the remainder of the content at Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. Now, there's more content there as well, other messages from the Bible, and we're doing topics on something called a Step Closer Minisodes podcast group discussions on relevant topics of the day. It's another uh, layer of our ministry we are excited about. Check them out today when you search for Walk in Truth uh, on your favorite podcast app. Follow us there. And you'll be notified when new content arrives. Thank you so much. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow. And remember, if you'd like to hear the rest of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 58 called The Kind of Fasting God Wants, you'll find the entire message on our free Living Truth app, or you can follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 59 called The Redeemer Will Come to Zion. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.